Hi everyone, it's your host Liz and welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Maggie Ridge. Over the past 15 years in New York City, Maggie has worked in many fields from marketing, teaching to real estate. From her days at Barnard to her dreams of becoming a singer, Maggie is sharing what she's been able to accomplish in the big city so far. This is Realistically with Liz. Hi, Maggie. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm really excited to chat with you today and, you know, let the audience learn a little bit more about you, more about your business, which is Maggie in the Corner. Let's start from the beginning. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, where you grew up and, you know, where you went to college and kind of like those first couple of years that you were just figuring things out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to describe myself as an East Coast girl. I'm an East Coast girl through and through. I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I was there all the way until I was in fifth grade when I was about 11 years old. Um, my family moved us all to Northern Virginia, and that was quite a culture shock um, at the time even though Northern Virginia is now like the blue part of a purple state, when I moved there in the late 80s, 1989, I think, 1988, um, it was still very much the kind of thing where you would see like Confederate flags on the bumper stickers and, you know, like antlers on trucks type of thing. And um, I remember my mom uh, parked her car once in D.C. and got a ticket, and they, they said, you know, you're not from around here, because they saw that she had, like, a Boston license plate, so it's that kind of environment. So those middle school years in Virginia um, were just a very, a lot of culture shock. It was very different from Cambridge, and that propelled me back to Boston, where I went to boarding school for high school, and then I moved to New York City when I was for college. Um, and... I, the reason I moved to New York City is because when I was at high school, I had two opportunities to visit. Um, the first one was for a theater camp that I was doing, and we took a trip to New York City to see a bunch of plays. Um, super exciting. I think that would be for anybody. <laughs> I've seen the tourists here um, and the young kids and just brings back memories. And also for my chamber singers choir, we got to perform at Carnegie Hall, actually, which was kind of yeah. amazing that I get to say that. Really exciting. <laughs> they told us at the time, like, opportunity of a lifetime. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll be back. Because at the time, as, an era, you know, in, as a high school student, I, wanted to, I knew that I wanted to sing with my life. And I was like, this is where, this is like what I'm supposed to be doing. So at the time, wanting to be a singer and an actress, of course, having this experience in New York as a young girl, like, solidified that this is where I need to be, uh, to be singing and acting. Yeah. I mean, so many of us come to New York because we want to pursue our dreams here and we see all these opportunities. We see the shiny lights. Broadway is here. There's so much. I mean, now it's like, really, you can do anything here. You can have any job. And especially, you know, I, I remember it was always like, oh, you know, you want to be a singer, you want to be an actress. That was, you know, who you were meeting. That's who was like, you know, serving you dinner or the coffee shop you were going to. Uh, but it was wonderful. Like, it, I feel like that was also, there was so much culture. There was so much like energy in that because they could be whoever they wanted to be that night. Like you had that ability to do that. You didn't have to be 
if you didn't want to be Maggie, you could you didn't have to be Maggie. You could have been like Samantha <laughs> or I don't know, Sarah and you know, really put on put on a show for someone else. It's true. I I was definitely fell into that whole like trance of and it's not it's a very real thing of that that just it's very enchanting to come here and have, you know, Broadway and and all the rest of the entertainment venues and you know, comedy clubs. I was also very lucky at a young age to have a mentor and, and friend of mine who was a graduate student take us around the city and like talk about the architecture of the city, which is like so many different unique styles. That whole thing about like, yeah, nobody needs to know who you are. You can be anybody. All of that was just very enchanting to me and, and exciting. Yeah, definitely. So tell me about those first years that you moved to New York, was it another culture shock, you know, from coming from Boston, um, you know, finishing high school out there? Was your family on board with your decision? Were your friends like, did they know you were already in that mindset? They were like, oh, Maggie's destined to go to New York. Like, how was everything around you at that time? Well, it's interesting because I, my whole focus was music and theater. And I went to a boarding school that really focused on, you know, getting kids into Ivy League schools. And so I came to New York City and I looked at uh, Columbia and Barnard and NYU, and I just fell in love with Barnard. I went down to NYU and I love the NYU campus now as an adult. But when I was 18, 17, it just seemed very overwhelming. Like there wasn't a sense of space of like, this is a campus. It really is just like part of the city. So for me, but what happened was Barnard became my first choice. It was like, I want to go to this little college that has this like beautiful, you know, courtyard and I can take classes at Columbia, et cetera. And I didn't get into Barnard the first time around. I got wait, I got waitlisted and I spent a semester I'm going to a musical theater school in Virginia and decided, you know, like, I can't do this. I really just want to be in New York. I want to go to Barnard. So I reapplied and, uh, and got in. And the thing about Barnard is that you are on the Upper West Side in this beautiful enclave, old apartment buildings, like super old school New York, this beautiful little campus. And I ended up double majoring in college. So I didn't actually spend very much of my time at all enjoying the city, experiencing the city. I remember like two occasions. One was our orientation. We went to go see Rent. I think it was like the year after it opened or the year it won the Tony Award. It was like huge on Broadway then. That was very exciting, of course, just reaffirmed everything that I, you know, why I moved to New York. And then I remember very clearly at one point visiting a friend down at NYU at a party and just feeling like this is a whole nother world. Like (laughs) this world has nothing to do with like, where am I? What is this? And it just didn't feel, you know, I was very sequestered on the Upper West Side. And so it wasn't really until I graduated that I started to experience New York City as a city and like a place to live. Yeah. I mean, as someone that also went to school in the city, you know, in the middle of Chelsea, it was definitely just another world. You you know, I think that's what you expect it to be, you know, obviously you're surrounded by all these neighborhoods, you're surrounded by, you know, all these new places, but sometimes you are so focused at school, you know, whether you're double majoring or maybe you're just going to school full time and 
you're also working that you don't really find the extra time to, you know, just like walk around, relax. And even though we're so young, it's think it's funny, like thinking about that, like being like 10, 15 years ago, you're just like, why didn't I just like relax? Why was I so into just like going to school? And it's crazy because I remember when I, it was time to like choose my classes at FIT. No one really explained that process to me. You know, it was like a certain time of day. They were like, oh, open to, for everybody to enroll. And I was like, oh, I just saw like so many different classes. And I was like, photography. I was like, that sounds great. I was like, I want to take that. Like, I had no idea I had to like take a certain set of classes. I was like, did I miss the welcome package? Because it felt like that. And I, I completely messed up during that sign, pro- like that sign up process. So my first semester, I took eight classes and I had class Monday to Friday. And looking back at it, I was like, shit, I have no time. I really, I was like, I have zero time. And it was like, I got like terrible, like I would just have, you know, maybe one day I would have just one class and, you know, that would just like mess it up. So, you know, when I, when it came to time to look for a job, like I remember the schedule I, I offered them too was just kind of all over the place. So it was like, if I had to go to work, I basically had to like, run like from like Chelsea to wherever my job was to get there on time. Cause it was just, yeah, not, not a fun process whatsoever, <laughs> which was obviously one of my challenges, just not being from New York and, you know, trying to understand the city. So I want to talk about more of maybe the challenges that you had those first couple of years in college. What were some of those roadblocks that you didn't really expect? There was a lot of that, actually. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that was like, felt like at some point, certainly when those history term, I, I double majored in history and theater when the history term papers came along, there were there were weeks that I did not leave my, the campus, <laughs> the campus, much less like the Upper West Side. Um, yeah, in terms of the, the struggling in the early years, I would say um, the same struggles that I had in college kind of bled out to even when I graduated. And that those were, um, I think what you mentioned, like financial, you know, it's expensive to live in New York. I didn't, you know, I was in the dorm. I had a job at the library. I had a job in the computer lab. And I think my job in my the library had pretty much the whole time. I was part of the Barnard Babysitting Club, which is a really cool thing because they hook you up with all these Upper West Side, Upper East Side parents, and you can go and like be a babysitter for these families that can like afford to pay a college student. So that was really enjoyable. I remember that my first summer in the city, I was interning at a theater company inside Riverside Church, and I was the only person. So I had one friend that summer, and it was the girl who was working with me in the theater. And it was just very lonely. It can be a very lonely place. A lot of people will say this about New York is that it's extremely, I don't know if it's like this in other other large cities. Being from Boston, I've never really had that same feeling. Uh, but, But here, even though you're surrounded by people all the time, you can simultaneously feel like all alone in the world. And I definitely had that feeling my first summer it did not make me less enchanted with New York. Um, but I do think that like experiencing that is part of, you know, if you can kind of make it through those, the, this, the challenge of affording New York and being able to get through that, you know, those periods of loneliness when it seems like you shouldn't be lonely. Um, 
definitely makes that's like it comes back to like oh you know when you they say that if you can live in new york you can live anywhere right so having gone through those experiences early on it feels like yeah i could live anywhere i, I came here and i kind of like figured it out from the college years needing money for groceries you know wanting to go to you know rite aid and get i don't know hair things with my roommate you know yeah there was no money for mom and dad for that so I fell into this horrible trap. I know that I can't be the only one, but it was pretty bad. So, you know, the credit card companies will just like plaster the, the hallways of the student, you know, centers, like apply, apply, apply. And it doesn't cost anything. I was like, this is how you get a credit card. And I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. So I'd be like, oh yeah, a credit card would be useful because then I can buy things. <laughs> I think at some point I had like seven credit cards. And I just, and, and I wow. remember my, it was just insane. And my senior, my junior and senior year, all my free time that I wasn't writing term papers, I was working at the library. And then I had another job at, at the tea shop that opened up just nonstop to pay off these credit cards so that I wouldn't be ending up like graduating with like all this debt. So yeah, there is, you live and you learn. <laughs> I think that was a good lesson to learn early on. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. There was, there was a Chase and a TD Bank right across the street from us. So, I mean, they definitely weren't plastered on the walls, but they <laughs> definitely always had tables outside. They like knew when it was like orientation week. Yeah, it was pretty easy. I mean, I feel like back then there was, you know, there's credit cards and just things that are catered towards us. I mean, even now it's, I mean, first of all, now people have it way easier these new kind of pay later options that are now available is, is shocking to me. I mean, it's great because that's really how, I mean, it's capitalism. It's, it's how we're, you know, it's how people are going to spend money, but I can only imagine having seven credit cards in college. Go to your Rite Aid, you go to your Dwayne Reed, you spend $50 every time you're there on nothing. It's just, it's crazy because you're just so young. And you're like, why is my credit card bill this high? If I'm not even like buying like a luxury item. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that too. Yeah. The, the interest rates is <laughs> the real Once you figure out you what they are, right. what they are, because no one tells you <laughs> They're like, yeah, free for this much. And then like, I, it's really that. And I think, you know, I'm not going to say our parents were bad at telling us what credit cards, you know, do to you. But I think probably at the time we didn't tell them that we got them. Oh no. Exactly. Right. I'm I think like, my parents would not have been happy if I told them. I just course. thought it was. And I wasn't trying to, I wasn't thinking there was no nefarious intent here. It was just like, I, I literally had no, I was so young and naive. I, it was began with like, Oh, is this how you get a credit card? Like, I wonder what happens if I apply. And I didn't understand that you could have more than one. So I applied to a bunch of them thinking I'll only get accepted to one. Mm -hmm. But I, it was just so crazy. And then, you know, your, your friends are going out for pizza and, you know, you, your paycheck isn't until the end of the week. So you just use the credit. You don't really think about it, but it was a good lesson early on. And I'm just very glad that that, that was a lesson. My younger brother, who is he's four and a half years younger than I am, has never wanted to finish his college education because of the the loans are so exorbitantly high and obviously mm -hmm. that's like a huge topic of conversation for college age students now i'm just so lucky that 
I had student loans and was able to work through college and like eventually like pay them off. But it's, I feel like that's a whole new set of issues that has become exacerbated in recent years. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that those challenges were big for me, but they're no, they're still nowhere near the kinds of financial challenges that students these days face, I think. I mean, I wish I was, I wish I was paying my loans when I was in college. (laughs) I definitely did not pay one cent while I was in college. And I feel like I worked my four years, so I should have, but the money was going elsewhere. It was going to pay those credit cards and eventually going to pay rent. Yeah. I feel like I started a savings fund because I was like, you just need to do this. You need to start small. But yeah, I definitely regret probably not starting to pay off my student debt sooner because, I mean, you really don't know about it. You you know it's there. No one talks to you about it until li- literally your last semester, you have to attend like a mandatory class that tells you about your student debt. They give you a file and they're like, goodbye. <laughs> and then it's like, what, you get a six month period of like, we don't bother you. And then immediately you get your first like statement. So, I mean, I definitely think there's room for improvement there. And I think more, maybe my college didn't do it, or I think more colleges need to just like be more open about it. I remember my parents saying to me when I didn't get into Barnard the first time and I was, and I was waitlisted and I got into Oberlin, which was my second choice, great school, also would have been amazing for music and theater. Um, And they said to me, well, we don't want to pay for you to go to your second choice school. And at the time, being, you know, 18 years old, thinking, what are you talking about? Like, this is an amazing school. All my friends are going to college. How am I going to not go to the school? Like, what are you talking about? But now, having gone through the experience of paying for student loans, again, I think that I would have been very happy at Oberlin, but I understand where they're coming from now, because for their perspective, it was like, this is so much money. Like, we don't even want to take out a loan to send you to your, <laughs> because, yeah. because of the amount of money it is, you should just go to your first choice school. And I'm kind of glad that they set me on that course, because it really was like, it just forced me into a situation where I was like, well, I'm not going to accept no for an answer then. I'll just reapply to Barnard. That's where I want to go. So, so that worked out. <laughs> I mean, it definitely sounds like it. What was one of your first jobs after college? you started out by saying that you really wanted to pursue singing and acting. Did that come easy to you? You obviously mentioned working at a theater company. How did all the ducks get in a row? Yeah, so related to the credit card bills and student loan and now suddenly having to pay rent when I graduated, I was so lucky and I found this amazing sublet in the West Village on Bank Street, which is like It's literally one of the nicest streets in the whole city. It was a tiny little apartment, and I couldn't afford the whole rent, so I had to find a roommate. I found a graduate student roommate who went to NYU, and I was working a temp-to-perm job at this high-end electronics PR firm, which was a really interesting uh, first job to have, but it also wasn't like anything. That wasn't what I wanted to be doing. It was really to pay the rent. And, and it did. So that was great. Yeah. And, and my apartment was just, it was so small. Like I, I loved that apartment, but it was not a sustainable living situation. It was so small that at some point when my roommate's uh, girlfriend came over from Sweden, 
she stayed, I think for a week. And there were three of us in like a 500 square feet or 50, 500. It was like a tiny, tiny apartment. So that was a little crazy. (laughs) And it, it was in those first years of having to pay cell phone bills and having to pay rent and also doing theater and like wanting to hang out with my theater friends, you know, and realizing, you know, I don't really have a lot of money beyond what there is to pay rent. My mom came to visit one time and she was, I think it was her last day there. And she came with me in the cab on the way to work. And she said, it'll be okay, Mags. I know you're having, you know, a hard time, but it'll be fine. And I just remember I totally broke down in tears and I told her that I was so lonely and I didn't know what to do. I was dating a guy at the time and um, I think it was somebody I met on like match.com. Um, and it was, you know, and I had my theater friends, but I was just, I just felt very lost at sea because I wasn't, I was, I, I was working with this theater company sort of off, off, off Broadway, like repertory theater. Um, but I just felt very, yeah, lost at sea, which I think is what a lot of people feel, you know, when they graduate and they realize, oh, I'm out in the world now and I have to, now there's, what is there? There's no more structure. Um, and I just broke down in tears and she said, you know, maybe you're just not tough enough to live in this city. It takes a lot of like guts to live in New York City. You have to be really tough and you may not be up for it. And I remember having the strongest reaction at the time, I was so mad at her for saying that. I immediately just kind of snapped out of my just feeling sad, emotional, like breakdown. And I got out of the cab. I just left my mom in the cab and I went to work. And I pretty much decided right then and there that absolutely not. I am definitely tough enough to live in New York City and I'm going to be fine. So, so that was... Um, that was like a real memorable turning point in terms of just deciding I'm going to make it here and, and I don't know what that looks like and it's okay. Right. And, and I think that that's, I mean, I've come back to it at many points in my life. Like I think that's one of the things that I love about the city is that there are so many people who are here that had at some point that same realization or experience or feeling something similar of like, love it or leave it like <laughs> and and it takes a, an enormous amount of courage to to do that in a big city where there are so many people and so many opportunities for everything which is wonderful but then you don't always have somebody holding your hand or like giving you the way or giving you the answers yeah i mean your aha moment is is great. Like being, in, I could just imagine you being in a cab and just like getting out and being like, I'm going to do this <laughs> and just going somewhere, probably in the wrong direction and just being like, I'm going, don't speak to me or I've got this. And you know, it is going back to what you mentioned earlier too, New York city can be very lonely. And I think that, you know, it, it really depends. Cause you know, as you mentioned, you were working a job that was just purely for rent. So I'm sure you weren't, you know, fully passionate about it. You weren't putting in all all your effort, but not, you know, in a way that you could fully connect with it, trying to still stay in touch with your theater friends and, you know, trying to keep that passion alive. It's, it's hard. In my personal experience, when I was in college, you know, it was, 
I was never big on like being super social, being out there. And I had a close group of friends and I was like, great, that's all I need, two, three friends, that's all I need. I don't need to be the life of the party. And then there was like this turning point that those friendships like dissolved. They disappeared. And that was really when I, you know, already thinking, oh, I'm an adult. I've grown up so much in New York. You know, I I work, I pay my bills. So it was really kind of, okay, we're entering another, you know, phase of your life here. You are fully dependent now or independent now, sorry. And, you know, it was tough because it was kind of like, who's, who am I going to talk to about things? Who like, and it's not the same thing, you know, sharing all your thoughts and feelings with your family. Yes, they are your blood. They have no option but to hear you. (laughs) You know, family never fully understands like what you want to, like what your intentions are. Again, maybe you're not tough enough or, oh, um, maybe you should go in a different direction. Maybe you should look somewhere safer. And that makes it really difficult to then, you know, really try to pursue what you came there to do. I was going to say in those days, we didn't have Zoom and many of my friends were actually in like either grades below me. They were still in school. A lot of them were in Boston. Some of them were in California. Like I just didn't have even my friends in the city. You know, it's a very big city. You know, if somebody lives on the Upper East Side and you're on the Upper West Side or you're in the village, you're, you're hanging out and then you're going your separate ways. You're not like seeing each other every day. And like I said, no Zoom, no video chat. Like back in those days, it was, that was that. So yeah, it was really through my jobs that, that I learned, you know, your community, the things that you're passionate about. When did you finally feel like you landed a job that you loved and you saw kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, so I actually, I landed a job at L'Oreal in 2004, and I did not expect this to be kind of my dream job, but it was because all of a sudden I was working in international marketing at this incredible company with amazing benefit. You know, everybody there was also, you know, in fashion it felt like I had this like incredible New York job where you had to dress for the job. And like, surprisingly, even though I was never really into like, Oh, makeup or marketing per se, that was the job that I really connected with and enjoyed the most. I did a lot of PR. We did, you know, the, the makeup for New York fashion week and, you know, meeting the makeup artists and making sure at the shoots, the models had everything they needed. And it was just very exciting life. And that was really a turning point where I, I didn't decide I'm not going to sing and act anymore, but I decided that I could be really, that I could have a job and really enjoy it. And that that was the thing that I wanted to do rather than like going to auditions day after day in day in and day out. Cause that I always say it's hard to compare teachers and actors, but it's the same kind of thing in terms of like thanklessness. You have to, I'd say actors probably have an even less like thankful as an actor. You're basically just being rejected all day, every day. You, you have to, I don't know how, how, I don't even know if I could do that. (laughs) You know, it it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't love acting if you don't become an actor because that work is just, uh, it's a crazy, crazy life. And actually, as I met my husband there, 
we started dating and the year that we got married was the year that I left L'Oreal to start a charter school, which was a passion project that I was in, basically invited by a long-term mentor of mine to start this charter school called Voice Charter School. It's in Long Island City. All the children learn to sing. And I told him that if I came to start the charter school with him, I really want, you know, I would be an office manager for the first year, but then that I wanted to learn how to teach and teach the kids how to, to sing. So I went and I learned how I was a teacher. I taught after school um, music through drama. I was kindergarten, first grade and second grade. And then my, my third year was third. We had third graders. I learned a program called reading recovery, which I'm extremely passionate about. It's a scientific methodology to get children in first grade on reading level. Uh, so that when they graduate, if, you know, if they're behind reading level, they'll be on grade level by the time they graduate because the high school dropout rate for, for kids who go into third grade, not knowing how to read on or above grade level is basically like, I guess like 75%, some ridiculous, the percentage is so high. So it's a very important program. And I loved being a part of Voice Charter School and being a teacher there. I basically decided in my third year that I did not want to teach for a, for a variety of reasons, but I'm still very proud of that project. And I went after that to work in real estate. I assisted a top broker. I, I worked in a couple of different firms, most recently assisting a top broker. And I consider my role there being as a magician. I'm a problem solver. <laughs> my, my accountant thinks I'm a fixer. <laughs> but then two years ago, I started my, my business, In Your Corner. In Your Corner is... I feel like the thing that I was born to do. It's a KonMari-based tidying business. It's inspired by Marie Kondo's book, The Magical Art of Tidying Up. I'm a consultant in training, and I'm currently in the experience of just being able to work with clients, creating space in their lives to follow their own passion projects and declutter their homes and their spaces. I love that. I mean, when you first told me KonMari, I definitely was like, Googling it, I was like, what is this? Have I heard of Marie Kondo? Of course, but I never knew, you know, there was a business and a methodology behind it. I feel like one of my favorite things to do at home is declutter spaces all the time. It was something that I used to do with my mom a lot of times growing up. It was anytime you were bored at home and, you know, it was just reruns on TV, you know, before the age of Netflix, it was something that was like therapeutic to us. We would go around her room and different and our home was built like my mom put in all her love to our home. Like it was built from scratch. So there was a closet for everything. So it was really like going into it, seeing like what pieces meant to you, you know, reorganizing the flow, like what made sense. And that was always like so fun. It was something that we always did together. It was kind of a, a, a way of me playing dress up to it's interesting to see that now that, you know, people can do that as like a profession and like actually have a business around it. So yeah, I, I mean, I love that you're, you know, two years into this to in your corner and, you know, working with clients and, you know, I'm sure it's been a, a rewarding experience. It has. I love your story. It sounds a lot it's very similar to Marie Kondo's story, actually. Um, and, and I've always been that way, too. I've always loved um, making lists and categorizing things and putting things away, organizing. But I didn't know that this journey, when I, the way that it happened was that a friend of mine recommended the audiobook to me. She sent it to me as a gift. And when I listened to it, I thought, let me do this, because I thought it sounded like fun. Like you said, like, 
let's reorganize my closet. Um, and she talked about a vision board. And I remember thinking, oh, I know how I want my apartment to look. I want it to have all these sort of serene colors of like light blues and cream color. Um, and then when I made my vision board, I kind of was just going through pictures and in magazines and ripping out um, anything that I was drawn to. And I found at the end of this process that I had ripped out a bunch of pictures of like brightly colored sofas or, you know, a lot of like reds and yellows and um, rooms with a lot of plants. And I'm thinking, this has nothing, this isn't what I thought. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is this? I'm like, these are the things I love. So does that mean this, you know, it was just this really cool realization that the thing I thought I had in my head, which is how I, wa I thought I wanted my house to look, it was not actually all that. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I finished the process and having made that vision board, when I got to my sort of living area with the books and the papers, I realized that because I had cleared out so much space, I actually had room to put in a whole bunch of plants on these shelves that I had. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm literally creating the thing that I had envisioned for myself in the beginning of the process. I didn't even realize that this was possible. But what it made possible for me, more importantly, was that I had a space to practice singing and writing and painting, which is something I do as a hobby. And for years, I had been trying to get back into singing. I had left singing for a lot of the time when I was switching jobs and also moved all over New York City in the time I've lived here. I've lived in like, I've lived in Queens, I've lived in Manhattan, I've lived in uptown, downtown, you know, several places in Brooklyn. And I ended up in, we're in our current apartment, which I love, just surrounded by all these like paper files that I had hauled with me of, you know, like I had a file for the LSATs because at some point I thought I would take the LSATs and be a lawyer. And I was like, why do I have this file? That's a story. This is no longer even like relevant information right now, <laughs> you know, and like clothes that I'd had since I was, you know, 19 years old, because it was like a cute t-shirt that I had a memory of wearing and I didn't, wasn't prepared to get rid of it. And I'm like, why? I can take a picture of this, you know, or I have a picture of myself wearing that. I don't need to hold on to it. So for me, that KonMari journey was very, very powerful. And it allowed me to create space in my apartment where I wasn't feeling like when I sat down to play mandolin or stood in front of my music stand to start singing, I was being pulled in a million different directions of feeling stressed about papers or books or things that were out of place. And instead, I have the space where everything that is in the space is something that I actually want to be there and that makes me really happy and feel good and feel peace. So you know this because you're a New Yorker that like when you're out and about, you know, I'm sure that's the case for even people who are not New Yorkers. You're out, you're living your day, then you have a commute, you're driving home, whatever, all the stresses and you get home and you just want to have a sense of relief. And if you go home and the only place you can feel that relief is like in the bath or, you know, when you're going to sleep at night, even your home becomes a thing to do, right? It's a thing to clean up a thing to deal with. It's not relaxing. It's not comfortable. I, you know, it's no wonder I hadn't read a book in years because there was no place where I could sit and read a book and just feel like I was in the space and not being like thinking about all the other things around me. So that's why I started in your corner because I wanted to be able to share that with everybody 
to give fellow entrepreneurs, people who have hobbies, like anybody who has a full-time job or kids and wants, you know, to like to write or paint or do anything of their own for their own project and have a space that just feels calm and relaxing and like really good. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, the one thing I hate is if I like entering a room and just seeing the clutter or, you know, seeing that it's not like in their zone, it definitely, it makes me want to fix it. It makes me want to like not be able to relax. Like, you know, you kind of have to like get something done. And there's obviously things that you kind of, you know, over time you, you, you start editing, like, you know, as you mentioned, you're like, okay, do I really need this shirt I wore when I was 19? Or even, you know, there's a lot of stuff that probably I need to declutter from all my years working in fashion. There's a lot of perks of working in fashion. You get a lot of free things sometimes, but do some of those pieces still fit me? Probably not. Going back to what you said, you really need to just like find a piece of calm and, you know, it's, you don't always want it to feel like work and it, it shouldn't be, it should be like a small project. It should be something that you hopefully enjoy doing, or if you don't, you can call you. Well, that's exactly it. So you hit on a couple of things. Okay. So the first thing is having a home is a big part of the KonMari process because a lot of the philosophy, and I don't know how she, she spells it out, but it's like a big part of my business is that all objects have energy. And so if you're choosing to keep something that you love, either from a memory or because you're still using it, whatever it is, the way that you keep it should reflect how you feel about it, right? And in the honor that it has, like the place that it has in your life, right? So I like to use the the example of like my running trophies. So I like, I go running and I get these little medals and the first couple of half marathons, I was super proud of them and I kept them and I hung them on the wall. And then I realized, you know, I don't need to keep all of these. And then I, I think at one point I started to put them in a box, but after I did KonMari, it was like, why am I putting them in a box? Because that's not doing anything memory and the feeling of like having won the little metal it's just sitting in a box taking up space and it, it doesn't that doesn't help like the energy of the object again it like diminishes it so i would be better off just not having that thing in my life or if it's so meaningful to me putting it in a way that i can see it and display like have it nice and like honor it which is why you know keeping things in storage for later is like what I, this brings me to the next point of like my closet that I had no idea until I finished doing KonMari on my closet that when I walked in my closet, I could actually have that same sense of relief of a feeling of, wow, I, I can literally just pick anything in this closet right now and put it on my body and feel good about it. I, it was a noticeable difference between the closet before KonMari and the closet after of the closet before felt like I don't know which thing I should pick. You know, it would cause anxiety. There would be items in there that I loved, but what hadn't got rid of or didn't quite fit. And it would make me feel either guilty or anxious, or, you know, I, I'd see something that I once loved and I didn't know why I wasn't wearing it anymore, but maybe it was because it was kind of like run down and I, it just wasn't, it had fallen out of favor. And so all of those feelings and emotions and like that, basically that energy is what I would be confronted with coming into the closet. But then ha doing the KonMari process, that was gone. 
I was 100% on board with everything in that closet and I, there were no questions or doubts or there was no anxiety. It seems like such a little thing. And I think one of my other Kanmari consultants has a quote that she wrote on Instagram and it says, folding, like, folding all the underwear in my underwear drawer changed my life. <laughs> I love it. I open my underwear drawer now and it looks like, I don't know, like a little box of little colorful sushis <laughs> instead of like this, it just makes, it just like every morning I see this and it makes me happy. Like something so little for a lot of people who aren't, you know, naturally desirous of organizing things and going through things, facing those stories, I call them stories, you know, the file of the LSAT papers that, that you might need one day or the clothes you got from the fashion shoot when you were a size two. I literally have had that exact same experience, Liz. <laughs> you know, may have been appropriate when I was 25, may not be appropriate now, but I don't want to get rid of them because they came from like Adriana Lima's like fashion shoots. Sorry, I've like way dated myself. But anyway, um, those stories are stories like things that a lot of people, most people actually have a really hard time facing. It's, it's hard to look at your past or ideas you might have had about your future and say, I'm going to make a decision to just get rid of that. That can't, that's not easy for anyone. And so, yeah, that's why Kanmari consultants exist to help you. And again, I think a lot of people are afraid that Kanmari consultants are going to say, oh, they're just going to tell me to get rid of everything. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, that's what my husband tells me. Just get rid of everything. That will make your life a lot easier. Nothing stresses me out more. And the answer is that will, that will never, ever happen. You know, a KonMari consultant will never tell you to give away. Like, I will never tell a client you need to get rid of anything, ever. So I think it's just helpful, yeah, to know that you can have somebody to kind of hold your hand and be a friend through that process and bounce ideas off of and ask questions about where it's a safe space to address these things in your life that are actually physically taking up space and taking up energy. And I firmly believe then when you clear them out, they create space, like just even in your brain and in your in your spirit to be able to be more creative and, and do things that more of what you want to do. Absolutely. I mean, thank you for sharing everything that kind of goes into KonMari because I'm sure that a lot of people do think of just throwing things out. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it could be hard living in New York and not having a lot of space, but then now you're living here 10, 20 years and you're like, where do I put my life? Like, <laughs> It's, it's not even just the clothing factor or the shoes. It's kind of like my life. You really need to just kind of hold yourself accountable to that you're not holding on to these other things that are just there. Yeah, or if you are, like, really celebrate that. I have a couple of dresses that my mom had made when she was in her 20s, and she was, like, tiny, and she's shorter than I am, really tiny, and I think I've worn them, you know, a few times when I was a younger, smaller person myself. And the fabrics are just so beautiful. When I see them, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel, I want to wear this again so badly someday and I can't wait to do that. It's more just like, I enjoy looking at that. And it's a, it's my, it was my mom's and it brings me a good memory. 
And those are hanging in my closet because they make me feel good. So I think part of it is also you're tuning, you're exercising a muscle that's tuning into what, what is this here for? What is its purpose in my life? And how does it make me feel? And like really exercising that muscle of how does this make me feel, I think is a really universal skill. It's something that all of us have had to really address during quarantine, just in general. And, and for me, certainly as an adult, it's become more and more important in my life in terms of how I spend my energy and my time and, and where I want my energy to go not just with relationship to like objects in my house, but just for everything. How does this make me feel and what place does it have in my life? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there are certain pieces that, you know, carry a lot of value to them. Maybe it's sentimental reasons. Maybe it's something else, but I feel like, yeah, certain times you kind of feel hard with parting things, but I want to, kind of take us outside of the home now and talk a little bit more about New York, which is always fun to me because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you basically lived in every borough, which has probably allowed you to explore a lot of places. So yeah, I want to go into just, you know, I would love for you to kind of share some of your favorite places in New York and you can give me, you know, your top three if you want. And yeah, and, and maybe why some of those places are, are so sentimental to you or why, why would you consider them your favorites? Absolutely. Well, I would have to say that consistently one of my favorite top, top favorite places in New York is Bryant Park. And that's for a lot of reasons. Um, for most of the year you have these I, I looked it up today. They're called plane trees. They, I, I wanted to call them birch trees, but they're very tall trees with white bark. And they have this beautiful, gorgeous, like canopy of green that just covers the whole park. And it's like a sanctuary right in the middle of Midtown. Um, and I just always loved it. In the winter, they have skating rink there. Um, and every other time of year, they ha you know, you can hang out on the lawn. It's right next to the library. I just find it a really peaceful place to be and kind of astonishingly peaceful energy considering it is right in the middle heart of Midtown. Um, so that's definitely one of my top favorite places. Another park, Prospect Park, is, is near where I live. Um, I love Prospect Park. It also has a skating rink. <laughs> common theme, but also lots of places to explore. It's not like so huge that you're going to get lost, which has happened to me in Central Park. No shade to Central Park. I love Central Park. Too. I've gotten lost there too. When I, was, <laughs> when I first moved here, I want to say the first couple of years, I went in one end and then I couldn't figure out I lost my <laughs> mind because obviously you're just a dot in the grass at that point. And I don't even know, I'm sure there was GPS, but like, I was like, where am I going though? Like where, like, I didn't know how to exit the park area. It's very scary. Continue. Sorry. No. And uh, I guess keeping on the park theme, I've recently, you know, in the last few years, they've renovated the Hudson river park, which is on the West side of Manhattan. And it goes all the way up the side, like even everything above Chelsea piers, which is on 30th street, like all these beautiful pathways with sculptures and bike paths and, that's very beautiful as well. So those are some of my favorite like hangout places. I, in terms of restaurants and things, obviously the pandemic has changed a lot. My, my 
old favorites in Manhattan are definitely Baccarat Bar, which is is not actually that old, but it's part of the it's part of the Baccarat Hotel, and it's this extremely cool, fancy little bar that you have to take an elevator to get up to, and it feels like you're in this whole other world. Um, I love, um, I, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm pretty sure it's called the Hudson Hotel. Yes, they also have a bar. And when you go there, uh, you sit, the ceilings are very low and it's got this beautiful like painting on the ceiling. It makes you feel like you're like in no time and no space, which is very cool. Il Buco Alimentari has this amazing pasta sauce that I love. It's like everything they use, all the ingredients are very fresh. So I love that. But my favorite, favorite places are in Brooklyn. Cataldo's is our favorite Italian restaurant. It's the best homemade Italian I've ever had. Bonnie's is a classic diner with like fantastic music, just classic music, and is also vegan friendly, which is amazing for me. And then Chavela's, which is like our local hangout. It's authentic Mexican. We have uh, margaritas on tap. And I just want to give a shout out because my husband's from Mexico. So he always says that he can only get his real Mexican in the city at this tiny little hole in the wall of the place called El Rinconcito on 138th Street in the Bronx. And we have made that journey numerous times, but in the... (laughs) But it, whenever we don't feel like making that journey, which is most of the time, um, Chavela's is the closest thing. So those are my favorite. Those are my favorite places to like eat and hang out. Can I talk about some live music places? Sure. <laughs> I love. Okay. So prior to, to the quarantine COVID, there was, you know, live music in the city and it's become one of my favorite things to go see just like live jazz. Um, and some of my favorite spots in Brooklyn here are St. Maisie's and Barbez and both of them are in Brooklyn. And it's just a really cool, albeit hipster, but very good music with excellent musicians. So I just want to like shout out to those places too. Mm-hmm. St. Maisie's is in Williamsburg. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah, I think someone else actually used that as their favorite spot, which is nice. I usually, I, I keep this question on the podcast too, because I think it's it's so fun to just, it's a different way of discovering new places. There's endless places to go to, you know, before COVID, during COVID. It's just really, New York has just so many places. So I love just kind of getting this like endless list of new places to to go and check out. Thank you for letting me share them. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they sound uh, super fun. And I'll definitely have to check out those Brooklyn places when I have the chance. As always, I want to end off the podcast asking you the big question of what you love and what you hate about New York. Oh, I I think I told you when we first started talking that my relationship with New York, it took, a, it took me about 11 years of like a love-hate relationship before I decided this is not, I fell in love with it and I came here, but then a, there was 11 years of like, a, oh my gosh, can I do this? Um, so there is some love-hate, but I would say that there's way, way, way more love. And I mostly love that New York is central to skiing, uh, the woods, the beach, you know, pretty much any place that is like a kind of place that you might want to go. It's like a train or a drive away accessible to anyone. Um, and I, I just think that's very, very cool. I don't have to like go, you know, many, many hours away to get to a beach or to the woods or to go skiing or any of those things. Um, I love the culture of the people, the energy, everybody's going to say that. 
Um, but mostly, again, it comes back to that, like, at some point, everybody's had to say, no, I am tough enough. And like, hang it. that kind of grit that, that you have to have to be here for a long period of time and just make your home here is something that everybody shares and everybody knows about each other just subconsciously. And it brings us all together as this really cool community. It's like the, the collective unconscious of New Yorkers. Um, I, I feel like I should end on the love note. What do I hate? I hate the smell of garbage in the summer. <laughs> the extreme temperatures um, on the concrete, you know, are exacerbated by not having enough trees. So every three months or so, I do have to get out of the city to see green, which going back to the love is very easy to do because Metro North just takes you right up along the Hudson River, which is some of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, and, you know, I guess I would say the commute, I feel like everybody mentions that at some point, but I also realized that, you know, my brother lives in New Hampshire and commutes an hour back and forth from his work in a car. So I just feel very lucky to be in a city where my commute ends me up in a borough that feels, you know, calmer than being in the center of the city and does have trees and is near a park. And I'm still in the city, but I end up like still separated from that kind of frenetic energy. And again, that's something I feel like really unique to New York. Yeah, definitely. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for sharing. Um, I definitely learned a lot today on, on the episode. I'm glad that we both enjoy the art of decluttering and organizing <laughs> for others. And yeah, I would love it if you could share any social handles or any um, websites, information for your business, if anybody's interested in, in, in doing work with you or just learning more about KonMari, um, so we could share with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Liz, for reminding me. So um, you can find me on my website, which is maggieinyourcorner.com. Um, and then I, I feel like I should know this off of the top of my head and I don't, um, but I believe my Instagram handle is also Maggie in your corner. Maggie in your corner is my Instagram handle. Um, and I have an at home head and heart, uh, webpage on Facebook. That's my Facebook page at home head and heart, but you can also look me up under Maggie Ridge. That's my, that's my business Facebook page as well. Um, so you can reach me through any of those channels. I would love to see and meet all of you listeners. <laughs> um, definitely. So I'm going to put all of the links for Maggie on the episode description so everyone can easily find them. You could also head over to the Realistically with Liz website where everything will be linked as well. So again, Maggie, thank you so much. I'm really excited for everyone to hear you um, and listen to your story and hopefully help them tidy up their life. Thank you so much, Liz. Yes, thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Realistically with Liz. For more on our guests, visit our website linked in the show notes and check out our Instagram page at Realistically with Liz. Don't forget to rate and review on your preferred podcast platforms, and we'll see you here next Saturday with a new episode.